Hello, and welcome to the Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Long Island's podcast. In this episode, we continue our series in the book of Micah. This lesson was presented by Mr. Lawrence Jeffrey on November 1st, 2020, during Sunday School. The lesson's title is Introduction to Micah, Part 2, and provides an overview of the history surrounding the times of Micah. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear future episodes. You can also visit our site, hopereformedli.net, and find us on Facebook and Sermon Audio for more information. And looking at Micah, I don't know if we're going to touch Micah today. Probably not. We're going to be elsewhere talking about other stuff, but uh, before we begin, I was trying to find my notes because something pertinent came up, and I was thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, you know, I probably should cover this. I was actually talking with Alex Peretti, and uh, I was like, you know what, I probably should cover this thing that I covered a while ago, I mean, a long while ago, way back when, probably three years ago in Kings about uh, Solomon, when we talked about Solomon. And I was looking for my notes on there because I, I read a book uh, that was very specific dealing with this one particular passage in First Kings. And uh, it's relevant to what we're going to be talking about. It explains some stuff. Okay? And I think it's actually important for us to have this kind of understanding. I couldn't find those notes. I don't know where they went. But um, they, they deal with, well, in the book or whatever, he deals with a shift in political and religious life in the world around the time of Solomon and beyond, right? So um, it was written like in the 1800s by, by somebody. I, I couldn't find those notes, so I can't give you the title, and I can't give you very specific details that I had. But um, I got the book in... PDF format somewhere where it would be I don't know but I try to find it if anyone's interested in it okay hey look we're up and running all right let's pray (laughs) heavenly father lord we do thank you for today that it is your day father god that we can gather as your people to worship you lord god and to hear from you father we thank you lord um, that we can come, and as we gather, we could be in your presence, Lord God, united with our Savior Christ, Father. And uh, we pray as we begin to look into your word, that you would help us to understand how it is that you move in the world, how it is we're to behave in this world in every uh, way, Lord God. Help us to be molded and shaped into the image of your Son. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so... We're going to go through, again, briefly, I suppose, all the stuff we talked about, right? At the time we were, dis- uh, last week, we were, were discussing the uh, historical period, right? What was going on at the time when Micah and his contemporaries, Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah, were prophesying, right? We, we spoke about the... Um, 
the ascendance of the Assyrian Empire, right? We looked at how they grew. They started like this, taking over all this stuff, and then this is what the, the, the light yellow is what they call the Neo-Assyrian Empire, okay? And it's the one that spread down around into Judah and everything else. Like, well, around Judah, I should say. Because he never actually quite got Jerusalem, did he? No, God, God didn't allow him. I mean, look here, just if you want to see something amazing, look, if you look at this map, right? You guys can see the map pretty good, right? Okay. All right. This yellow is all their, and green, is all their conquered territory, right? This yellow was not, right? They conquered Egypt, Babylon, they conquered Cyprus, parts of Greece, but they couldn't take Judah. You know? <laughs> right. It's, it's a, it's, it's, it is amazing, right? It is amazing. Um, anyway, so we're going to read that, uh, those accounts as well prob- uh, later. Uh, but uh, regardless of what yeah, we were discussing, um, how all the different kings give you a whole ton of names and dates, all that stuff. And we're going to continue with that. Um, but actually, you know, probably before, we might as well just do this beforehand. Okay, if you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Kings, I want to show you something. I spoke about it before. If you want to hear an extended talk on this, I spent an entire Sunday school dealing with this one particular verse because it's fascinating and it's also um, important. So, uh, yeah, 1 Kings chapter 10. And a single verse, okay? Verse 24. And I think that this is directly pertinent to what we're going to be, well, what we are talking about dealing with the Assyrian Empire, okay? Because something happened to the Assyrian Empire before they got onto their ascendancy, right? Before they started to, to come up in the world, okay? Now, this is something very interesting, okay? It says, this is kind of just a throwaway in Kings, as it were. But, uh, and the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind, right? This is uh, right after it talks about the Queen of Sheba coming and listening to him and giving gifts and all that stuff. And it talks about Solomon's great wealth and whatnot. But, yes, thus the king excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom, and the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. Okay, obviously this points to the greater than Solomon, right? Jesus and the whole earth coming to Zion to hear the law of God, right? We hear that. That's a prophecy that we're going to be reading about in, um, in Micah. Isaiah also prophesied that same prophecy. Uh, but here in Kings, at least, with Solomon, we get to see that foreshadowed. Now, what's fascinating, at least this author, again, I'm sorry, I wish I had it. If you go back and listen to Listen to that one. It's obviously 1 Kings 10, 24. Okay? So if you go back in our archives and try to find that, um, you'll have a, you know, more detail on this. But 
at that time, and he uses a bunch of different examples um, from the Greeks, from, from all over, there were political and religious changes in a people's roundabout and also afar off, right? Like, for instance, um, the Lyconians, yes? The Greeks, the, the Greek Lyconians, the, the Spartans and whatnot, there was a philosopher who instituted, who was an advisor to the king there and started to institute changes moving towards the law of God, right? It was blended and stuff like that, of course, but there were movements in that direction. My favorite one, though, is um, a few hundred years, like, well, two, actually, hundred years after the death of Solomon in China, right? A new empire took over. A new, a new emperor took over, and um, I guess actually I should say it this way: a, there was a new dynasty in China, and all of a sudden the Chinese started worshiping the one God, right, as they called it, right. So there's all of these religious and political changes that had occurred in the world around this time period, which is fascinating because the scripture says all the kings of the earth came to hear. Well, it says all, all the people of the earth came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. They wanted to hear what God had put into Solomon's mind. And it seems as though a lot of these peoples have imp implemented changes. Now, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because something happened to Assyria, right, before they started empire, you know, before they started their imperial conquests. Who remembers what happened to Assyria before this. Anybody? Come on, somebody's got to remember what happened to Assyria before this. Yeah, that's right, the repentance of Nineveh. Nineveh repented, right? Assyria repented. Assyria became uh, converted, if you will, right? Assyria repented at the preaching of Jonah. Right? And then, all of a sudden, no, not that far off, they start empiring. Right? They start their imperial conquests. Now, around that time in Assyria, there was factions, right? I would say this way, if you look at the history, because like, the timelines get all mixed up, but there are certain things that actually work out. You know, if you look at them a, a, a a specific way, you know, not, not trying to like fit facts to, to things, but like sometimes it gets confusing, like matching biblical records with Assyrian records and stuff like that. Like, do we know when Jonah preached? No, he didn't date it and whatnot. But the time, you know, it makes sense and it fits, it works, you know. Uh, if you preach in this one specific period where you see a time of peace in Assyria, there's a, there's a period of peace. And Assyria starts to, to, you know, become stronger at that time, during that peaceful period. And then all of a sudden, that dynasty is wiped out by another dynasty. You know, like, he's, the king is killed, his sons are killed, etc. And, and somebody else takes over, and they start an imperial conquest, right? That's when they start an imperial conquest. So, this theologian, one of my favorites that I listen to, uh, he, he posits this, and I think he's dead right about this. Um, 
we know about common grace, yes? Like God gives common grace, okay? He gives common grace to nations and to men. But where does power come from? The Lord, right, yeah, all power comes from, from God, right? Power, I, how, did, how did Assyria gain the power to do things that no, no one else was really able to do, you know? Well, if they were a converted nation, at one point, anyways, they'd have, what they, like, you know, blessings. God would have blessed them, right? They would have had earthly blessings, technological advancement, etc. All of these different great things that come from, from God blessing a nation, right? When we talk about America, and we say God bless America, and America was blessed, I mean, how did we ascend so rapidly? You know, was it by our own might and by our own power that we ascended so rapidly? No, no, God blessed us, right? Like, why is it that three states used to be able to feed the entire world with the amount of food they grew? You know, was that from our own wisdom and in and, uh, you know, agricultural know-how? No, God blessed us, right? God gave us greatness, right? God blessed us materially. That, that uh, video that Chris showed, the Doug Wilson thing in there about the first world, second world, third world, that was astounding. I loved it. It was fantastic. Yeah, no, I'll repeat it, I suppose, right? It's like, it's like wow, one of those things, you, you, it's just like, what? You know, <laughs> mind blown. Now he said, think about all of the deeply historical Protestant nature, uh, nations in the world. Think about all the nations that have deep Protestant roots, right? Then think about all the nations that have deep Catholic roots, that are historically Catholic, right? And then think about all the nations that are deeply, deeply pagan, right? That have never been converted to Christianity, historically speaking. And you have the first world, second world, third world, respectively. You know? Like, that's like, what? Mind blown, you know? Like, God blesses. No, he does. He blesses nations, okay? So, if Nineveh, if Assyria was converted, it makes perfect sense why they were able to do what they did, right? Why they empired so hard, as it were. They were able to conquer peoples that, like, up here, good luck, you know, the Scythians right here, there were these gigantic, blonde, horse-riding, arrow-shooting, you know, warriors that, that, like, no one could put down, not even the Romans, you know. So they had, but they were able to at least, you know, pacify them. They were able to do things that, that people weren't able to do. And um, so it makes perfect sense as to why. So just, just think, about, think about that when we talk about when we look at the nations, we look at God's blessing on, on us, right? We're still experiencing the re residual effects of faithful generations gone by, right? Yes, makes sense? Okay. Well, got blank faces. <laughs> okay. So soon they, they're Assyrian Empire at this point. Soon they're going to fall, right? And they're going to be replaced. They're going to be replaced from over here in this area, Babylon, and Susa, and whatnot, regardless. Um, and the uh, it's funny. Why did Babylon come up? Who knows? We read it last week a little bit. 
Why, why did God use Babylon of all nations? Huh? Well, because this king that was over here teamed up with this king that was over here, right? And put his trust in him. And God said, okay, you want to trust Babylon? Well, guess what? To Babylon you'll go, right? All right. The center of the world, the center of all history, at least at this time period, was right here. You could see it on the map. This little yellow line. <laughs> look, look, all of this happened around it, and it's still free because it remained faithful for a time. Right? Now, now what's the center of the world? Who knows? What does all history revolve around? The church. That's right. Yeah, all history revolves around the church. I mean, we're the temple of God. Anywhere God lives is the center of the universe, right? Does that make sense, hopefully? Okay, all right, yeah, good. Yeah, sounds arrogant, doesn't it, right, to say something as, as I don't know, wild as that, I, I suppose. But, no, it's absolute truth. God dwells with his people, right? That's the new covenant promise. That is the new covenant promise, as it were, uh, that God will dwell with us. And anywhere God dwells is absolutely the center of all things, right? So... Yeah, the, 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 the whole history revolves around the church. It's funny, our textbooks say king so-and-so, queen so-and-so, president so-and-so. It's all it's about, right? But it's not. It's not. They're, they're raised up for the benefits or detriments of the church, given the church's faithfulness. See, Judah's faithful at this time. What happened? Assyria, as they conquered... They didn't get to take them. They surrounded them. Matter of fact, by Assyria conquering them, it gave Judah a great period of peace. Gave them time to repent. You know? But uh, anyways, let's get back into what we were talking about. I thought that was just an important thing to, to, to discuss. You know, we, we, we spoke about the what's, right? Like we spoke about like... Uh, this is what happened. Now, this is I'm trying to explain why this happened, you know, from at least a theological standpoint. We can look at the geopolitics of it all day long, you know. I mean, geopolitically, why did, why did Christ get crucified? Well, the Romans, right, they were afraid of a Jewish king. The Jews were afraid, right? that they, their place was going to be taken. So he was, Jesus was this poor guy caught in the middle, right? That's the geopolitical view of it. If you, you know, ever read, what's his name's book? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, Bill O'Reilly, thank you. <laughs> right, or even the, the Deepak Chopra's book on the historical Christ. It's all looking at it from a human perspective, you know, from a human perspective. Yeah, it's just some poor guy that caught in the, got caught in the middle of, you know, Jewish politics and Roman politics, and everyone's afraid of him becoming king and, and all these uprisings and stuff, so they thought it'd be better to just put him to death, you know? That's, that makes sense, yeah, from a, from a geopolitical standpoint, I suppose. But we know from a theological standpoint that God used all those events. God brought that about in order to, what, as it says of Joseph, to save many people alive, right? <laughs> yeah, to make him ruler of all nations, to make him king of kings and lord of lords, right? So, anyways, 
the why is also very important, you know, and this is, after all, Sunday school, so probably should talk about the theology of stuff. Uh, anyway, but anyways, let's get back into the geopolitics uh, for net right now. Okay. Now I guess we're going to talk about some of that, you know, theological stuff, too. But uh, anywho, we, we were, where did we get to last time? We got up to, I, I believe, uh, we spoke about um, Judah joining that coalition, right, with uh, Babylon and Egypt and those other, other nations to withhold taxes to the kingdom of Assyria, right? We did speak about that, about that guy, Merodach, Baladan of Babylon, and Shabaka, king of Egypt, right? We spoke about them a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll continue on with that, I suppose. Pick up there. Uh, right. So, talk about Sennacherib, right? Because we all should know that name very well, right? Sennacherib of Assyria. Hopefully we do. I wasn't joking around. We should all know the name Sennacherib. You know, he's spoken about in Scripture uh, intentionally. He does some, some pretty bad things. He says some pretty bad things anyways. But, uh, yeah, he was king of Assyria at the time when Judah stopped paying its tribute. He started withholding it. And the king of Assyria went, as we said, went first and from Nineveh went down, put down Babylon, and then made his way across Judah, burning Judah, and well, burning the land as he went. Actually, first he went like he went like this. He went, where's Nineveh? Nineveh, down to Babylon, back up this way, and then burned his way down through, you know, uh, Tyre, Sidon, Damascus, etc., down into Samaria, and down into the coastal plain of the Philistines. Right? That's what we said last week. And we came to the point, we came to the point, I believe, where he was outside the gates of Judah, right? That's the, the cliffhanger that we left on, okay? So, backing up a little bit just to recap. In response to the rebellion, Assyria reconquered Babylon and arrived in Judah in 701. As we just said, he marched through Syria, Phoenicia, and the plain of Sharon, and there he conquered Joppa and moved through uh, the Philistine coastal plain and overthrew uh, Shephelah, a Judean defensive city in Judah's western foothills, which acted as a buffer. Okay, that would have been right over here. Okay, and it would have acted as a buffer to protect uh, Jerusalem from, well, the Phil for whom, whoever its enemies were. It did have enemies, you know, the Philistines, etc., on the on its uh, western end over there. But uh, they conquered it quickly and they took it easily. There was nothing really the Judeans could do. Um, and I don't know if I I don't know if I read this or not. I think I did. Yeah, we read this, right? Either way, we'll read it again, right? And this is pretty cool. An, an archaeologist discovered this relief uh, in Assyria that says this, As for Hezekiah the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke. I lay siege to 46 of his strong cities, walled forts, and the countless small villages in their vicinity, and conquered by means of well-stamped earth, earth ramps and 
battering rams brought thus near to the walls combined with the attack of foot soldiers using mines, breaches, as well as sapper work. I drove out of them 200 and uh, or 200, I can't think, my gosh, yes, 200,150 people. My mind is just stopped functioning for a second. Sorry. Uh, young and old, male and female, horses, mules, donkeys, camels, big and small, beyond counting, and considered them booty. So he took over 200,000 slaves, and as well as male and female horses, mules, donkeys, camels, etc. Right? He conquered through. He was angry, Sennacherib was, going through and taking all of these cities, doing what Assyria had done best at this time, just putting people under their heel, right? And the 46 cities include um, the nine mentioned in Micah, chapter 1, verses 10 to 15, Lachish being the most important, right? We spoke about this a little bit as well. Uh, he took Lachish. Um, an archaeologist there unearthed a mass grave of around like 1,500 bodies uh, that were covered in pig's bones and other garbage, and it was assumed to be one of the Assyrian army's garbage pits, right? They just took all of these people that they killed, threw them in this, ma uh, this uh, mass grave, and to defile the bodies, covered them in pig's bones, and then threw their garbage on them, right? That's how they treated, uh, or at least that's what they thought of the Jews at this time, right? The, the, the inhabitants of Judah. So while this was going on, though, while the conquering was happening, uh, Jerusalem was being surrounded, right? He's coming in from, from, he's coming into Jerusalem from this way and from this way, moving himself all around. And you had to remember, too, as an army comes through, certain things are going to happen, right? People are going to start fleeing, okay? So where are they going to go? They're going to keep going. Like, it's, it's like, uh, you know, you ever see a, 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 a tide rolling in and rats, right? As the tide comes, rats just move. They just scurry, right? That's where the, the army comes. The people just run, you know, running, running. And they're going to go to the first place that seems safe, right? And for them, it would have been this area right here, Jerusalem, <laughs> namely, okay? So the army's coming here, coming here. Jerusalem's being surrounded, and people are just fleeing, swelling the walls of Jerusalem. Just, it's just getting fuller and fuller and fuller, okay? So Jerusalem is being surrounded. And after uh, Lachish, uh, Assyria moved to Libna. And at this point in time... Um, Shabaka of Egypt sent his brother Tarhaka, T A R H A Q A H, Tarhaka, I don't know, uh, to intervene, right, at the, uh, the plain of Alteca, which is right here, right outside Jerusalem, right? So the Egyptian king sent his brother, and he confronted the Assyrian army right here, and quickly they were put down. That battle didn't last very long at all, you know. That coalition that Judah made with Egypt and Babylon. Babylon was already put down. They were put down first. And they were moving on to, Assyria was moving on to Judah, and then they were going to go deal with Egypt. And to preempt anything as part of their treaty, 
uh, Shabaka sent his brother to go deal with the Assyrian army, and quickly uh, the Egyptians were soundly uh, defeated at the plain of El Teca, right outside Jerusalem, right? So, with Judah now surrounded and without friends, Hezekiah repents, right? He repents and um, believe, and, God, and God delivered Jerusalem from the hand of Assyria, right? So, you know, we should probably read a little bit of that just because it's, it's pretty important. So, let's go to Isaiah. And we can see this whole account when Jerusalem surrounded and how God delivers them, right? Let me find the chapter. It's like around 39, I guess, somewhere around there. 36, 39, 36, 37. We're not going to read all of it, man. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, we'll, start in, in, we'll start in 36, though. It is a lot. <laughs> um, okay. So, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them, right? We spoke about that just now. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer field. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and Joha the son of Asaph the recorder. And Rebshekah said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, are you trusting in Egypt? that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. And he had good reason to say something like that, right? They had just crushed Egypt, like just crushed Egypt right outside Jerusalem at that time, right? He's like, you trust in Egypt? They knew about the coalition. They knew what was going on. It's like, you're putting your faith in Egypt? Really? So he calls Egypt a broken reed, that pierces the hand of any who lean on it, right? All right. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is, not, uh, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? So he knew about the reforms that Hezekiah made. We spoke about them a little bit last week, right? Hezekiah started making vast and sweeping reforms. He was a good king at the preaching of Isaiah and Micah, he started to make reforms in Jerusalem, right? He started, he took away high places, etc. And Rabshakeh of Assyria knows about that. He knows what's going on there. Um, so he knows about the reforms that Hezekiah was making. He says, look, he's taking away all the altars to your God, and he's telling you to worship at this one altar. You're going to trust him? Your God's going to be angry at you for taking away all his high places. He didn't understand, obviously, the religion of the uh, Jews at that period. But regardless of what, let's go on. Um, Come now, 
make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. See, listen to how he taunts them. huh? Listen to how he taunts them. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rebshekah, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the walls. But the Rebshekah said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the walls, who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then Rebshekah stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree, and each one will drink the water of his own cisterns until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Does that sound familiar at all? (laughs) So what is the king of Assyria as we read it thusly? Yeah, he's attacking his God, but what is he doing, though? Yeah, he's making the very promises of God that God made to Israel, right? To give them this land, this land that was a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where every man was to sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, right? To drink out of cisterns that they didn't dig, right? All of these things. God made those promises to them. And he's going to give them this land, and it was a good land, and it would be their inheritance forever. And you have the king of Assyria coming along and saying, you know, listen to me. I'm going to give you a land, right? So what is he? Yeah, right. He's an anti-god, if you will. Go ahead, what's up? Yes, yes, that's exactly, that's, that's precisely what he's doing. That is exactly what he's doing. He's making similar promises that Satan made to Christ. He's making the same promises that God made to, to Judah, right, to uh, Israel. He is the beginning of this beast, right, that we see, that we see all the way through to the Romans, right? He's the beginning of this beast. He's making these promises. He's making God's promises. He's replacing God to Judah, or at least he's trying to, okay? All they have to do is listen to him, you know, make covenant with him. Obey him, come out, right? Just come out of, just come out, and you'll, you'll be given a good land with all these good gifts, just like God said, right? Come out of Egypt, right? And you'll be given this good land and all of these good gifts, and Assyria's making these same promises. Now, what's really 
fascinating about this is if you, if you walk it through, if we look at Assyria as the beginning of this vast beast that surrounds Judah, right? Because what comes after Assyria, we spoke about it, Babylon, after Babylon, the Medes and Persians, after the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, after the Greeks, the Romans, right? How did that end? What did they say? We have no king but Caesar. They finally made peace with the beast. And what happened? Yeah, their land was taken from them, wasn't it? Okay? They started okay right here, but uh, they didn't end up okay with the Romans. Anyways, let's uh, move on from there. Okay, so uh, let's see. Where did we end up? Okay, right there. Verse 18. Beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you uh, by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered us? Uh, I'm sorry. Delivered his land out of the hand of the king of, of Assyria. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Where uh, Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But they were silent and answered him not a word. For the king commanded, um, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshakeh. Okay. And as soon as the king, I'm sorry, King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord and sent Eliakim. Um, and he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shem the secretary, and the senior priests covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and rebuke the words um, that, the, uh, that the Lord has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Okay. So he does. Hezekiah prays. He takes the letter that was written by Rabshakeh into the temple and lays it before God, prays, and says, hear the words of this man and do something about it, right? And God answers, Right? In verse 21 of chapter 37, we read this. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the highest? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have mocked the Lord, and you have said, With many chariots I have gone up the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon to cut down the tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses to come to its remotest height, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank waters to dry up with the sole of my foot, all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants shorn of strength are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field, 
and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops blighted before it has grown. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me. Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And that's how God answered the Assyrians, right? And this is what he did. Let's see. Uh, let's go down. Okay, verse 36, right? And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. Okay? And if you want to know what happened to Sennacherib, and as he was worshiping the house of Nishrach, his god, Ardamelech and Sharazar, Shar Ezer, his son, struck him down with the sword, and after they escaped into the land of Ararat. Esoharadon, his son, reigned in his place. Okay, so that's what happened to the Assyrians. The angel of the Lord came and killed 185,000 of them in an evening. Okay, so uh, let's see here. That's that's what that's how God delivered Judah. Oh, um, speaking of, if you're if you're curious, we spoke about how um, at that time when they were coming through, everyone's fleeing to Judah and fleeing to Jerusalem in particular. Well, Mike actually deals with that slightly in, uh, in his prophecy here in, in 2.12. And after Lake Ishisir moved to Libna, we said that all that. Now, what's, what's fascinating, too, about this time period, um, I mean, we have the Word of God. We don't need anything else, of course. But um, there was a, a, a batch relief found um, about the king's conquest of this area, right? And it vindicates... It vindicates the, the word of God and the account of the, the scriptures, right? Um, in t typical Assyrian fashion, they can't go around saying they, they lost the battle, right? Now, that would be a big no-no. They didn't lose this battle. Instead, what it says is, Sennacherib says, that like a bird in the cage, he shut up Hezekiah as a prisoner in Jerusalem, right? Thus indicating that he was unable to take the city. He had him surrounded. He had him walled in. He had him shut up like a bird in the cage. He did not conquer the city. And as we know, I mean, like this, yeah, this whole area remained unconquered by the Assyrians. They were not able to take that area. They took everything around about it, but they were unable to do that. Yes. Oh, and what's also fascinating, an, an inference that we make, you know, nowadays, um, and using other accounts of the period, like Herodotus's account of this event, um, was that it was the bubonic plague that went through and killed them. An army of field mice swept through the Assyrian camp overnight and, and caused them to flee, leaving their weapons and gear bah behind them. Um, yeah, proving their prophetic point, right? As Bruce Watke puts it, right, that it is folly to try to match strength with strength and false religion with false religion. Uh, and he spoke about that concerning Jerusalem's coalition with Egypt 
and and um, and Babylon, right? They tried to match strength with strength. And what did Samaria do, right? They tried to match false religion with false religion. And Samaria was overtaken, and God did spare for the sake of the line of David, uh, Judah from being taken by Assyria. However, they tried to match strength with strength, and it did not work out for them, right? No, God did it through some mice. Yeah, there you go. That's how God conquers armies. <laughs> Just some mice. That's all it takes. And then you send an army that could conquer this whole vast territory running home. Fascinating, right? It is. It should be, at least. It should be. It should give us hope. It should give us you know, strength. We look at the world. We see it burning, right? We literally turn on the news. What's, oh, look, Philadelphia is burning today. Oh, look, look. Uh, you know, it's just nuts. Stuff is going on. And it's like, well, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to deal with things? Well, you know, God could use mice, yeah? I'm sure he could use people, huh? So there you go. That's, that's what he does. That's how God operates. You don't match strength with strength. You don't have to. Don't ever think you have to match strength with strength. It never works. God likes to use the little things. All right? Remember what he said to Gideon? See, there's too many. You know, we'll bring less down to 300 men. All right, to conquer the army of the Midianites. That's all it took, okay? So there's always hope. There's always hope. Now, that's over. Now we covered at least the historical background of all of this stuff, mostly. You know, we're going to talk a little bit more. Oh, look at that. It's just in time. I'm not even paying attention to the thing. And then we're going to get into, next week, I suppose, the literary structure, okay? We've got this wonderful quote of, from Martin Luther in honor of Reformation Day, as it were, right? This is talking about the prophets. They have a queer, uh, they have a queer, that should say way, sorry, I mistyped that. They have a queer way of talking, like people who, instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble off from one thing to the next so that you cannot make heads of tails of what they are getting at. The book of Micah is a blatant example of this seeming jumble, so that a search for literary structure is at first sight an impossible task. Okay, so... I'll leave you on that cliffhanger, too. We're going to talk about the literary structure of the book of Micah uh, next week. Okay, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you that you are a mighty God, Lord God, that you are a God who can annihilate armies with mice, Lord, that you are a God who puts to flight our enemies, Lord. We, we pray, Father God, that that you would indeed look on your people and remember, Lord God, especially as we partake in Lord's Supper today. And Lord, we pray that you would remember that we are united with Christ, that we are your people called by you, Father God, and that you would give us uh, victory over our adversaries, Lord, especially in this time, in this day, Lord. Uh, but regardless, Lord, we do pray that you'll be pleased with our worship today, that you would um, be honored and glorified that the, through the prayers and the offering, Lord God, through the singing, Father, we pray that we as your congregation would come with uh, clean hands and a pure heart, Father God, and that you would indeed fill us with your spirit that we might worship and honor and glorify you aright.